Welcome back to A Farther Room. I want to say a few things really quick before I play the interview for you. Dr. John Witcher is running for governor in my state. For those of you from outside Mississippi who listen to me, our state currently has an incumbent Republican governor, Tate Reeves, who will be running for re-election and several people have declared they are going to run against him in the next gubernatorial election cycle. I wanted to give Dr. Witcher a forum to speak for several reasons. One, I know the amount of work he has put into the state. He has a lot of sweat equity invested in the people of the state. Two, I agree with his main core issue of the platform, and that's we should have zero mandates of any kind for people to have to take mRNA injections. That's very important. That's a very important issue to me, and I want to support somebody who feels that same sense of urgency around it. And third, I have a soft spot for outsider political candidates. This man is not a politician. You can tell by the way he speaks. You can tell when somebody has a certain level of honesty. He is straightforward. What you see is what you get. He's not somebody who's going to say one thing and do something different. And when you run into people like that, you know they're not career politicians. (laughs) I do not agree with him on every single thing. I'm not as conservative as he is, and I'm not even as religious as he is. But that's okay. That doesn't bother me. I don't demand that everybody see things my way all the time. What I want is for people to hear his message directly from him, not through a chopped up, edited news story. I want people to listen to him and make up their own minds on what they think. And I think you may find he's a person of integrity. And even if you don't agree with his politics, there aren't people... I mean, I don't know that there can be people who will say that he isn't an asset to our state and somebody who deserves a lot of credit for his hard work over decades. So without further ado, here is the interview starting now. Dr. Witcher, how, have you, how are you first and foremost? How, how are you and how's your family doing? Uh, I'm doing well, JP and my family. My wife, Brooke's doing well and... We have uh, four grown children between the two of us. I have three biological children, and she has one son. They're all grown on their own. And uh, we have three grandchildren now with one on the way. So we're a growing family. We had all of our grandchildren in the last uh, two years. So, (laughs) yeah, so we're growing. I remember um, 
So it's been almost one year to the day, the last time we spoke, and uh, or the when I did that first interview with you. And at the time, we were in the first big Omicron wave in our state, and you spoke to me in between taking care of some patients. Um, how, how have the patients been lately? The ones that you've been seeing in the last several months, are you seeing, um, critically ill patients nowadays or most, are they a little easier to treat now than they were in those earlier variants? Yeah, they're easier to treat these days. It's, uh, you know, I still have some that are what I would consider in, um, severe condition, um, maybe almost critical at times, I, but very few patients do I have to put on oxygen anymore. It, I, it's, I do occasionally have to do that. And, uh, you know, I treat all these patients at home. And so I do, uh, I've had, had a patient, I guess, in the fall that I had on oxygen. Well, I guess even later than that, uh, through Christmas. But uh, but it's, it's becoming a rarity, um, you know. Back in this time last year, mm-hmm. It was quite, quite. Uh, it, it was more common for me to treat sicker patients that needed home oxygen. So it's definitely getting lighter. You know, I think the uh, as the variants move forward, they become less uh, severe uh, to to people, and and that's typically what happens in a in a virus. Mm-hmm. Which you know, this is not a typical virus. Okay, I mean, this is a virus that. It was man-made. I mean, that's pretty much not disputed by anybody at this point. You know, they they took a a probably a bat virus, and as early as in the early 2000s, uh, 2003 and four, they've been working on this through gain-of-function research. And then uh, <clears throat> we were doing it right here in North Carolina with Dr. Fauci and Ralph Barrick. And then in 2014. They sent that over to China, to the Wuhan lab. and But we've been in direct uh, relations with uh, the Wuhan lab. And the, a lot of people know her as the bat lady, yeah, uh, Chinese researcher. And uh, with Ralph Barrick and her and, and many others, they developed this uh, virus, very virulent virus, uh, through gain-of-function research and genetic modification. And so now was this let out on purpose? I don't know that for sure. You know, some, some people say absolutely so. I, I don't know if it was an accident that it got out of the lab and the Wuhan lab and, and maybe even other labs, but, uh, mm-hmm. but it's out. And, uh, but, you know, but what happens to viruses, even viruses like this that were man-made and, and, and made in the lab through gain of function, they, they mutate. That's, very typical of a virus and what the virus tries to do is mutate to a state where it can infect a human or infect an animal or host a living organism and live there not kill that that host organism they want to live there and live as long as they can in which viruses you know they're they fall in a category they're not real living organisms okay they can't live without a host yeah and so um uh, you know, COVID-19 is is a disease. You know, if you say, what is COVID-19? It's kind of a, it's a disease process. But 
More specifically, this is the coronavirus COVID-2 virus. And so, um, so yeah, it's mutated. And, um, and so it looks like it's, it doesn't, um, people don't get as sick with it. And so, so that's the, that's a good thing. But what I'm more and more of is the vaccine injured and people, you know, not just me, but, uh, you know, doctors all around Mississippi have, are treating vaccine injured and all around the nation. And we're also seeing people that are dying suddenly right here in Mississippi, and we're very concerned. Uh, you know, we want to have autopsies on these patients to, to determine what uh, what they're dying from, because uh, this is very unusual to have otherwise young, healthy people uh, die <clears throat> or have uh, debilitating problems such as, you know, a 22-year-old having a massive stroke, for example. Um, you know, one of the doctors saw that recently. And so, you know, these things are, you know, this whole new diagnosis, sad, sudden adult death syndrome. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, most everybody that has watched the news, seeing uh, young athletes all over the world uh, dying suddenly. Um, so this is a big concern. And uh, we, you know, we want to get the, uh, we want to be able to talk about this and get the truth out. Now I want to I want to go into that just a little bit, but and I have some questions for you about your, um, you know, how the organization's going lately, uh, Mississippi against mandates and your upcoming event. But this is something that um, people who are concerned about these issues, as far as um, collapses on the field and sudden deaths, it's not happening in a vacuum. There are there. Are, is a lot of data nowadays to suggest that we've got a big excess deaths problem in the United States. And so there's, it's not just anecdotal, although one patient, one patient or one case is anecdotal, but when you have a lot of anecdotes that add up and you also have a story like, um, you know, actuaries who report on insurance claims saying that, between ages of 16 and 64, you know, working age people, there have been a really large increase in the last year of people dying, of people being disabled. And so there are a lot of people that want to look into this and see, okay, these, these patients that we're seeing, is this an increase? You know, it seems like it would be really easy to tell that. And for some reason, um, I don't know why, but we're not really seeing a lot of uh, good data capture by the CDC and other government organizations. Yeah, and that that's correct. We're, you know, where this data is coming from is independent sources like Ed Dow, for example, who was a, uh, you know, worked at, at BlackRock and some of these big uh, organizations where he was pretty much a number cruncher, but. Uh, yeah, he started looking at these actuaries on the insurance folks that uh, that are people that are dying in the age group, the normal working age group. And, and these people were, you know, a lot of them have health insurance, disability, death insurance through their employer. And so when when these things are, you know, when they die, it gets uh, a file for these uh, death benefits. So. He's not alone that there's other folks independently coming out, but it looks, I mean, you would think the insurance companies would be uh, really putting this information out. 
And you would hope our government would be transparent uh, because they absolutely know. I mean, they, they follow data. You know, we're in the data age now, you know, mm-hmm. and they're, uh, they can follow this data and, and they, they know, uh, but, uh, and that's what's so alarming is, is why are they being silent? Right. And I, th- I think it's not even a question anymore of, are there excess deaths happening because there are, it's just a matter of people trying to explain what's going on. And as far as I can tell, our government hasn't really come up with a really good explanation of what's going on. So, no. you know, you've heard all those stories. People are suddenly dying from, from taking uh, too long of showers or, or for, you know, just, just nonsensical reasons they're making up. You know, I mean, it's almost, it's almost comical at this point. Well, you're, so let's talk just a little bit about, um, Mississippi against mandates. Um, do you, how has your, um, how's your response been in the last year? Like since we last talked, are you pleased with the, the progress that's made that's been made in our state and in what kind of response you have gotten from local, local communities, local people to your organization? Well, you know, we have been <clears throat> continuing to press forward with Mississippi against mandates and, um, you know, we have, uh, on, on our board, we have 14 board members, 11 of them are physicians in Mississippi. And, um, these are some of the doctors that are seeing exactly what I've been seeing. And they're very alarmed. We have one of those doctors on the board that he's recently come on the board in the last couple months, Dr. Robert Corcoran. He's in from Greenville, Mississippi, and he's one of the Greenville doctors up there. There's a whole group of them that have been treating COVID patients from day one and uh, from early 2020. And they've been treating them with hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, all these medications that Dr. Peter McCullough and, you know, Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey of the FLCCC. Zelenko. Zelenko protocols, all these uh medicine, excuse me, they've been using since day one. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to get, uh, you know, some of these doctors on board with us. And finally, Dr. Corcoran has agreed, you know, he, they tried to silence him. Okay. And they, um, when I say they are, our, our health department, our public health department, you know, they did not want him to um, get the word out of, of what he was using. And, and they were having, he, he's treated over 10,000 COVID patients at this point. Okay. Over 10,000 in Greenville, Mississippi. Hmm. These are patients that are obese, diabetic, congestive heart failure, you name it. And he's had zero deaths. Okay. Now, if he would, if every doctor in Mississippi would have been using that protocol, is it possible that the 13 or 14,000 people that have died with COVID in Mississippi could have lived? I mean, it, it's possible. And so, you know, we're very upset that he could not get that information out. I didn't even know, know that what he was doing up there in Greenville, Mississippi until about this time last year. Mm-hmm. 
when uh, one of our board members, Dr. Carol Hill, she's a retired OBGYN doctor from down in Diamond Head, Mississippi. She did a four-year request to the, our state health department and got some emails. <clears throat> Those emails were from Dr. Dobbs and some of these doctors in Greenville, where these doctors in Greenville as early as December 2020, okay? This is going way back. Mm-hmm. They want to publish their data or their good results, and Dobbs ignored them. And then they tried again in the fall of 21. And Dobbs, at that point, we found emails where he sent to the Mississippi State Medical Association, Dr. Uh, Brunson, who heads that uh, department, heads that organization up. That's where, you know, it's, they do a journal, a monthly journal. And this is where these doctors wanted to publish it. And Dobbs pretty much told Brunson, you know, that's don't want to do it. I mean, this is a, these are bogus studies. They don't mean anything. And uh, they finally did get their data published. And then Dobbs wrote an editorial, pretty much said that, um, claimed that journal to be a throw, you know, implied that that was a throwaway medical journal. That, you know, <laughs> anything pretty much not reliable. And so, so yeah, we just found that out about this time last year. Of course, um, me and Dr. Hill went on radio, WYAB, and went and uh, we got all this information to our a lot of politicians back, you know, this time last year. And I believe we went on the radio February of 28th, February 28th of last year. And March the 8th, Dobbs resigned. Hmm. So, of course, he resigned a hero in a lot of people's minds. You know, they all hailed him. Even our governor said well, what a great job he did throughout COVID. And, um course he got a big job down at umc he's in the big department over there and uh you know big cush he went from one big cush state job to another right (laughs) well you know it it's always so baffling to me when you hear what a great job somebody did during covid you know the truth is nobody in leadership did a really great job during covid i mean it was pretty much everybody, it was just clear from the very beginning, was grasping at straws, and everybody was really just doing, it was action for the sake of action, and nobody was ever really honest about it and willing to say, you know, we're not really sure what to do right now. And the other problem was the dogmatism of those people who, instead of just saying, we're going to try this, they presented it as fact, and every other... um, opposing opinion is um misinfo disinfo all of that and i have a little bit of sympathy for some people who are in leadership because i know that it's not always difficult it's not always easy to manage a really difficult situation and there's a lot of pressure from all sides but the truth is nobody did a great job dobbs didn't in my opinion governor reeves did not um no, nobody in Washington did. It was just a debacle, top to bottom, and I think you'd probably agree with that. Do you do you ever get hate mail? Do you ever get people who just give you negative feedback? Um, believe it or not, um, I don't get a lot of hate mail. I'm waiting for some, but um, <laughs> but no, I mean, 
I don't know why I don't. I, I figured I'd get a whole lot, you know, but I'm all out there, all over social media and everything else. And no, people don't really do a whole lot of send a whole lot of hate mail and stuff to me. So, but uh, I'm sure it's coming. But uh, but yeah, I try to sympathize like you do, JP, with with some of these leaders in our state throughout COVID. But the problem is. It all goes back to Dr. Dobbs. It really does. I mean, he has, he has the ultimate power. He had the ultimate power. I mean, I can tell you how COVID started out. And uh, in the summer of 2020, just to show you that, you know, I've always been a member of the Mississippi State Medical Association for decades and decades, as long as I can remember. And, you know, back in the Obama years in the late 2000s, we, we had a we had a split in the Mississippi State Medical Association because we had some people that were for Obamacare. And you can guess who those people were, right? It was people that worked down at our state hospital, UMMC. Mm-hmm. They, they were for Obamacare. Uh, but then there was many of us doctors that actually had to work for a living and didn't see it as a, as a good uh, thing. And so... We actually, um, we, we broke away from the AMA, the American Medical Association, because the American Medical Association was pushing Obamacare back in the late 2000s. Well, lo and behold, in the last few years, they, the Mississippi State Medical Association has brought back the AMA into the, uh, you know, basically when you pay your dues for the Mississippi State Medical Association, you automatically join the AMA as well. And so... Um, and that's the problem. The AMA is a monopoly. They're very liberal. They push all sorts of liberal agenda. And they've turned our Mississippi State Medical Association into a liberal um, leftist group. And, and, and being because the leadership in the MSMA, Mississippi State Medical Association, many, many of them are, um, I mean, Dr. Dobbs. They're part of Dr. Dobbs. They're, they're, a lot of them are, came from their state doctors. And unfortunately, many of these state doctors are, are, they're just, you know, they believe in the AMA, they believe in liberalism, they believe that, uh, well, I mean, the AMA, pretty soon, if you're a conservative, certainly if you're a Christian, you're not going to get in medical school anywhere, any public medical school, you're not going to get in if you, if you, if they know that you're a conservative, Republican, or Christian, that, that's how bad it's getting. I mean, you can look up and see who who goes to medical school these days. I mean, if you're not if you're not on the fringe, if you're not a, you know, um, I mean, you you an you activist. Just can't, yeah, I mean that, that's that's who's getting into medical schools, and that's what they're pushing. They're, I mean, it's it's getting absurd. But you know, I mean, everything from critical race theory to uh, transgenderism to you know, the full, you know, anything goes. I mean, they're even, te- I mean, uh, medical doctors, they're trying to, you know, uh, get us to not be able to find what a man and a woman is. I mean, hello, we went to medical school. We took anatomy. There's, as far as I know, there's only been two sexes, you know, that's man and man and fe- male and female. You know, we, it's just, that's all, I mean, that, that's all there is. And so, um, but they don't want us to say that, okay? And that's that's uh, not being tolerant, not being inclusive, et cetera. 
but it's the truth. And so what's, what's your message to people? If somebody listens to this interview and says, I just can't stand this guy because he's a, he's an anti-science flat earther, anti-vaxxer. What, yeah. what what would you say just to a, a regular person out there who really doesn't know you, but they just hear something reported about you and yeah. formulate an opinion? What would you have to say to those people? Well, you know, at this point in my life, I'm a grandfather. I'm in my mid to late fifties, you know, um, uh, I would like to just enjoy my golden years, so to speak. Um, I don't particularly want to, I've never been involved in politics other than, well, I guess, you know, dealing with hospitals, I guess you're always involved with politics, but, yeah. but on a political level, but, you know, I feel that, uh, you know, I've got grandkids and I want them to grow up in a world that, um, that is free, but also in a world that makes sense, you know, not, you know, all this confusion we're putting on our little children is upsetting me, you know, and, and yeah, I'm a very conservative person and yeah, I live in Mississippi and I live in the Bible belt and I'm born and raised in Mississippi. Uh, you know, I probably five generations deep on both sides of my family from Mississippi. And so, you know, I, I'm a conservative and I believe in the Bible. And, and so that's, that's going to be my platform. And, and I feel led to run for governor. I feel, uh, I feel called. I mean, I prayed and I prayed and it's not something I really want to do, but I feel like God's calling me to do it and to do it, uh, with, with him and put him first. I mean, I'm going to, uh, for example, I've been praying about it as of, uh, today even. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the Reagan years. I was a teenager when, when Reagan was elected and, uh, you know, up through my early twenties. So that's kind of who I cut my teeth on as far as politics. I remember president, uh, Carter, I was a young a kid and I can remember gas lines. I remember interest rates way up there. And I remember my parents and many people struggling and then Reagan came in and then slowly, but surely over the eighties, I can tell you, I bought my first house in 1987 and the interest rate was 12% and, uh, had come down, but it was still high. But, you know, the thing is Reagan, he brought people together and one thing he did in 1983 I was 17 years old and he declared 1983 is the year of the Bible. And that's what we need. Uh, I don't believe in separation of church and state. A lot of people say, well, you know, the constitution says we should separate church and state. Constitution doesn't say that the constitution says we will have freedom of religion. Okay. And so I don't believe we should, I think we should keep the state out of the church. I don't think that state should be telling churches what to do. And, and, and I believe each church has the freedom to do whatever they want. I, I even believe if you want to go to the church of Satan, you can do that. That's your business. But don't mess with me and my kids 
and and you know if I don't want to be involved in that I don't want to I don't want to get involved in it and don't expect me to have to pay for any of that okay but but likewise you know then they'll say well you shouldn't be pushing your religion on me well if you go back to the founding fathers our constitution was written uh, I believe it was divinely inspired by God above and uh, and and so I don't believe that we should separate the church from the state. I think we keep the state out of the church, but it, it, I want to just end on this. If you look at our Mississippi state constitution, it's about 196 pages. But go to the secretary of state's office and you can pull it up and you go down and look on at freedom of, of religion. In our Mississippi constitution, it says that, we will keep, no one can take out the Holy Bible from the public schools. So that's going to be the first thing I do is I'm going to make sure all public schools have a Holy Bible. And the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to declare 2024 is the year of the Holy Bible in Mississippi. That's where I'm going to start. So I know a lot of people, I'll lose a lot of people on this, but, you know, if, if I'm going to be elected, it's going to be because God's going to elect me. And, it, and and I do have a long shot according to everybody, but I still believe in miracles. And if that's what God wants, then that's, that's what's going to happen. Well, let me, let me ask you one more question about um, Mississippi against mandates. And then I want to ask you just a couple more about your, your run for governor. Um, so you, there's an event coming up at the end of this month and it'll be a two day event that will involve many quality speakers coming into town and there'll be a dinner and some speeches at the Capitol. And I heard about this event and um, thought, hey, that's something I would probably want to listen in on and, and experience. So I went on and I bought a ticket. And at the time, the tickets were being sold and handled through Eventbrite. A few days later, I saw a post on your Telegram page that Eventbrite had sent you a love letter. Would you mind telling people about what you received? Yeah. So, and we used Eventbrite before. We brought Dr. Peter McCullough here to Mississippi in October the 29th of 21 and had a great turnout. We probably had four or 500 people there. I believe you were at that event. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we ran all that through Eventbrite. And um, had, had really, really thought they did a good job. And so we were going to use them again. And, uh, yeah, after uh, several days of selling tickets, they suddenly just sent me an email and said that uh, we have removed your account from Eventbrite, that, uh, you know, it, it violated their policy of that uh, it looked like it was harmful misinformation that we were uh, peddling. And so, um, so yeah, so they – Cancel all the people that had bought tickets. They said that uh, they would send their money back to them, and that was the end of that. And uh, so, yeah, the so, yeah, we harmful ramble. misinformation is my favorite phrase in there. Yeah, yeah, they harmful misinformation. So, so yeah, this is what happens when you when you're you know start talking about anything regarding the. Uh, COVID vaccine treatments, COVID, COVID at all. I mean, if you, if you don't follow the government narrative then you get, they label you as misinformation. And so, and that's what we've been battling that that's not anything unusual. I mean, you know, back in 21, when I put up the Facebook uh, live post where I just said, I was calling on our governor at that point 
a governor, which I supported, I voted for him, I campaigned for him. And, uh, you know, I just put out to the public because I couldn't, didn't get anywhere with him directly. And I just asked him to please consider stopping these mandates for these vaccines because they appear that they could be risky. I mean, I was seeing vaccine injured patients already. I didn't know how many other people were seeing it, but I just wanted to say that, you know, let's don't push these shots on everybody. And I mean, we just don't know what they do. And here I am, uh, this is two years later or a year and a half plus later, I'm still saying the same thing. I'm, I'm treating more and more injured patients. And I know of many other doctors right here in Mississippi and around the nation where they're saying the exact same thing. And so, so yeah, so we're going to keep pushing and, uh, you know, we, I've got labeled that my point was, you know, our Mississippi state licensure board, who by the way, is all connected with Dr. Dobbs. I won't go into all the details, but, but they're all, it's, our state is very, very, you know, we're a small state. We only have 3 million people in our whole state. We have probably, a, you know, a couple hundred doctors that run this, our whole healthcare system right down from Jackson, Mississippi. Dr. Dobbs being the kingpin when it comes to uh, public health, but, or he was the kingpin. He, he, after he resigned, they put the next kingpin in, and that's Dr. Dan Edney. And we could talk about him for days, but He's not qualified for that position. He has no experience with that position. He's not an immunologist. He's not, doesn't have a master's of public health. He's not an infectious disease doctor. He's an internal medicine doctor that's been ha that's had a pretty much a internal medicine clinic, but mostly specializing in pain medicine, Vicksburg, Mississippi. And he converted that, that hmm. pain clinic into a, to a methadone government sponsored clinic. It's the new methadone clinic. It's actually Suboxone clinic nowadays, but it's the same thing as the old methadone. You get, you put them on it, and, you, and they stay on it for life, for about five hundred dollars a month. You know, and you just keep them on there for life. It, it should be, it, it should be illegal. It should be, and I'm going to try to, uh, uh, you know, that's one thing I'm going to do. That these Suboxone clinics are not healthy. These patients need to need to go to a, really through a re rehabilitation services and get off of all all of the um uh, this stuff including suboxone well um and i know you've addressed this a couple other places but i wanted to ask just in case somebody's listening to this who doesn't isn't really familiar with you when did how long ago did you decide you were going to run and is it something that you had been thinking about for a while and just kind of came to a head or was it more of a um sort of a an epiphany type thing where you just decided not too long ago to do it and you decided to go through with it? Well, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I guess before I was in Orlando, Florida, whenever that was, uh, maybe three, three or so weeks ago, uh, let's see what uh, we started pushing for the, some bills and, in the, in the, you know, coming up, uh, January 1st, you know, we're part-time legislators here in Mississippi. Our Senate and House meet 90 days out of the year in that, from uh, January to, to March. And so I started working to get some bills presented for freedom of speech for doctors and nurses and healthcare workers and doing some other things. And, of course, I've been following Ron DeSantis in Florida him and Dr. Joseph Latipo, their, their uh, Surgeon General, for 
you know, months and months, all throughout the COVID, they've been doing a good job down there. Not perfect, but the best they could do, pushing back against the, these government doctors and the government narrative. Like, for example, Florida has not received any baby jabs into their state. I applaud them for that. Hmm. They recommend any uh, vaccines to anybody. I believe it's under 30 at this point, especially if you're a male. I applaud them for that. They could do more. You know, I want to stop the shots entirely until further investigations into the pharmaceutical industry, particularly Moderna and Pfizer for fraud, fraud, false advertisement. They advertise these shots everywhere, safe and effective, when they knew they were not. They had the data. You know, this is some data they tried to cover up for 75 years, but were made to show it, Pfizer in particular, and they knew that these shots would cause injury and even death, and they covered it up. So I'm going to be fighting those folks. Uh, we want an investigation just like Florida's doing. And so that whenever um, I started working on these bills and, and just uh, I went to my representative and my senator, my senator's uh, Dean Kirby. I never could get a hold of my representative, uh, Lee, Lee, uh, Lee Ants. Uh, um, but anyway, um, and I, I couldn't really get anywhere with Dean Kirby. So I was going to run against him. He, he's been in office for 31 years, the Senator, my district, and, uh, usually, usually is not opposed. So he, every, every, you know, four years he gets reelected because there's nobody that runs against him. I think he's had in all those years, I think he's had one or two opponents. But I was going to run against him, and I started praying about it, praying about it, and um, God started leading me to think, well, I mean, he, he really doesn't have a whole lot of power when it's all said and done. Most of these people don't. They have one vote, and uh, and really, uh, so I prayed and started uh, talking with my wife and some friends, and it's kind of went up, kind of, yeah, so it's been a pretty, pretty recent uh, thing that's come about. Well, I've got one more question for you if you've got the time. Oh yeah. Um, so I can just kind of thinking about different politicians, people who are career politicians and even sometimes people who get into politics later, everybody tends to campaign on being a uniter. You know, um, I'm running for all Mississippians and, uh, later, when when they actually get into office, they kind of turn out to be the opposite. They're really divisive, and they love to um, take cheap shots at the other side and all of this type of thing. And um, sometimes I feel like Governor Reeves falls into that trap, where you know he's um, he's always itching to turn it into a well, the Democrats this and this and this, and just as a as a person who grew up in this state i can tell you that there are some issues kind of like the um the water issue in jackson you know that it's it's really just a basic human rights issue and it's not really a democrat or republican thing you can point to and say okay well in hines county you know there there are X percent Democrats for X number of years. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, that's true. 
but how many Republican governors have come and gone and not really done a whole lot of about it? Um, and so I, I feel like people are hungry for somebody who really does want to represent everybody from this state. And I feel like you, you know, you've spent a lot of hot, humid evenings working in hospitals in different parts of this state. And you've met a lot of people, and you um, you have a lot of connections in different places. And I feel like you're somebody who really actually does care about this state. And I just wanted to ask you if you feel like you can be somebody who's um, a uniting uh, candidate. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm running. You know, I, I want to be the people's governor. Okay, I, I mean, like I said, my mother's from Yazoo City, so I have a lot of cousins and family from Yazoo City. I lived there when I was small. My father's from Tupelo. I have a lot of cousins up there, and I lived there when I was small. I visited both those places every summer, so I'm very, you know, uh, know a lot of folks in those areas. Uh, when I was young, my uh, we moved to uh, the coast and I grew up on the Mississippi Gulf coast. So, you know, I know a lot of different people just through growing up and relate relations and whatnot. And, uh, you know, my mother and father were, um, you know, my mother was born in 1939 and she weighed under three pounds and her father was an electrical engineer and his brother was a doctor. He was from Mississippi state. His brother was from Ole Miss. They graduated in the early 1900s. They made an incubator for my mother and kept her alive. And, um, you know, she suffered from some cerebral palsy and also she's legally blind. She's, she was with me today. We were at church and, and she, um, she's 84 years old you know, uh, and she's done well, but she's had, she's never driven a car. She's never worked outside the home. She raised me and my brother and sister. And my father, um, believe it or not, he was hit by a car when he was five. And so he was, had a head, uh, head injury such that his left side was paralyzed. So his right arm, his right leg. So he walked with a limp. And um, so they met at Mississippi College, and then they, they didn't finish college there. And that my dad started working as an insurance salesman. And then he went back to school when I was three to William Carey college and got his elementary education degree. And so that's when we moved to the coast. And, and so, you know, I grew up with, my dad was a school teacher, elementary education. Uh, we were a very close family, but we struggled. We grew up in a 900 square foot house and, um, and, uh, you know, my dad worked, two jobs. He worked, he worked at a gas station at night and on the weekends and during the summers when he was off where he would just sit in the little booth and take up money. So, you know, I started working even before the legal age of working. I started working in shrimp trees growing up. And so, um, so yeah, I've been working hard, working all my life. And so, and I know a lot of in, in the last 25 years, I've been a medical doctor right here in Mississippi. And, uh, you know, I worked, I'm, an, I'm a, a country doctor is what I like to call, think of myself as because that's where I've been working all throughout the countryside. I've worked um, multiple locations. I've, I've, I started a company 
where we staff physicians in these emergency rooms. I've managed the, those types of companies, and I've also worked in emergency rooms, and I've also worked as a hospitalist, and I've also worked as a family practice doctor. All over, I could at least a dozen little towns, all the way from the Gulf Coast, and I guess far north is Kosciuszko, and pretty much everywhere in between. So. I'm very aware of these rural hospitals. I'm very aware of these people, you know, and I believe, you know, many, many of those people uh, know me. I love them. They love me. Many of those people were black. Most, the majority, I've probably treated 40,000 patients over the last 25 years, Mississippians, and most of them have been black. And they will vote for me when they know that I'm running for governor. I believe I'm going to win on the Democratic vote. And, uh, I know that's unusual, but that's that's really what I feel uh, because they know who I am, and uh, you know, and that's that's ultimately why I'm running for governor. People are suffering and dying right here in Mississippi because of these vaccines, and and I'm not going to sit back and not say anything. You know, I I'm not alone. There's other doctors throughout Mississippi that want to come forward, and they just they don't have. The ability because they need their jobs worse than I do. And so I'm going to be their voice. I'm going to be the patient's voice. And we're going to, we're going to come to the truth. We're going to find out what's going on and we're going to be transparent. We, all these people that are being disabled, injured, and even dying suddenly, we, we're going to find out what's going on. And um, I'm going to lead that way. Just like Florida's trying to do, just like the Santez and Dr. Joseph Latipo are doing in Florida. And that's why, you know, Dr. Peter McCullough, if people don't know him, look him up. Uh, I was with him in Florida, you know, a few weeks ago. And that's, I told him I was thinking about running for governor. And if I ran for governor, would he be my Dr. Latipo? And he said, yes. And so that was probably what really got me really praying harder to know that Dr. Peter McCullough could come here and me and him together, we could run Mississippi like Florida's running, uh, like DeSantis and Latipo are, are, are uh, running Florida. As a free state, you know, they, they're, that's what they're doing. They, they're run. Florida has now become the free state of Florida. And we want Mississippi to become the free state of Mississippi. Well, Dr. Witcher, I really appreciate your time. And um, I want to, you know, I wanted to give you an, an open forum and, not try, not cross talk you and just let you tell people what it is that's on your mind and why you're, why you're running and some about your history in the state. And, um, I appreciate you. I know all of the work that you've done for patients around the state. And, um, I wish you, um, I wish you good fortune in the, the race that's coming up. And uh, so thank you. Thank you, JP. I appreciate you. Um, invite me back on with you and uh, look forward to being with you again.